Welcome to The Spirit Explodes with Roger Kirby. This is the 19th study in the Acts of the Apostles. Acts chapter 20, the whole chapter, verses 1 to 38. Paul says goodbye and gives encouragement to the Ephesians. There is a very end-of-term feel to this chapter. Things do not go according to plan. One student falls asleep in the middle of a lesson, and then Paul exhorts everyone to a vigorous future, just like a headmaster at an end-of-term assembly. First we read chapter 20, verses 1 to 6. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He travelled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Because the Jews made a plot against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus, from Berea, Aristarchus, and Secundus, from Thessalonica, Gaius, from Derbe, Timothy, also, and Tychicus and Trophimus, from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas, but we sailed from Philippi after the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and five leaves later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Question 1. What more does Paul do than the work of an evangelist? Paul was also a teacher. He taught long and carefully, both before people were converted and, as here, after. He was great on encouragement. Some present-day evangelists need to follow his example more carefully, I think. Question 2. What was Paul's attitude to danger? As when the Jews, perhaps Jews planning to sail on the same boat as him, plotted against him. He avoided danger when he could, without weakening the gospel. He was quite prepared to put his body and his life into danger when it was necessary, but he took wise precautions when he could. This is the second we passage in Acts. The writer of the book was with Paul for this part of his journey. This is why it is thought right to say that Luke was the writer of this book, and therefore of what we call Luke's Gospel, too. Now we read verses 7 to 12. On the first day of the week we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted.
What an odd way of becoming historically famous. Eutychus, whose name means lucky, may have been a slave, very tired after a long, hard day's work. This event establishes that Paul is a prophet like Jesus. He is a prophet because as well as prophesying, this is very similar to what Elijah and Elisha were able to do in bringing back to life those who had just died in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 2 Kings chapter 4. He is like Jesus because this is similar to what Jesus did on more than one occasion. Note that the episode is bracketed by two references to the breaking of bread. Now we read verses 13 to 17. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Asos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that we crossed over to Samos, and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible by the day of Pentecost. This is a curious journey. We are not told why Paul went by land, while everybody else we are told about took a ship to Assos. Perhaps he needed the peace and quiet of the road to do some thinking, meditating and praying. Or perhaps he had a lot of money on him to take to Jerusalem and reckoned the land route was safer. We are not told. Then although he did not want to stop at Ephesus, he asked the leaders of the church in Ephesus to meet him in Miletus, and that was a journey of about 45 kilometres each way. Again, we are not told why he did that. But then we come to the account of what he said to them. This is the only account we have of what he said to a group of Christians rather than to those who had not come to faith. It covers much the same ideas as the epistles to Timothy and Titus do in greater detail. We will take it in several small bits to make it clearer what he was saying. First, verses 17 to 24. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. If I only know that in every city... The Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. 
we might call some of this boasting. But Paul lived in a different age and a different culture, and this was acceptable behaviour then. He holds himself up as an example of how they should behave, and he is, of course, seeking to imitate the example of Jesus. Question 3. In what particular things is he telling them, and therefore us, to follow his example? He was happy to live in Ephesus as an ordinary person, quite humbly, without claiming any special privileges for himself. He worked steadily and devotedly at the task that had been given to him of teaching and preaching. He did not let any apparent obstacles stop him doing what he knew he had been called to do. It is unlikely that we have been given so great a task or so demanding a one as Paul had. Yet we should work away at whatever we have been set to do in the work of the kingdom with similar humility, steadiness and persistence as he did. That is not always a very easy thing to do. We find it easy to lose impetus and mental strength. Sitting look at a computer screen, as I am doing right now, week in, week out, is not the easiest thing in the world, so I know very well what the problems are. The race you are called to run is different from my race. The completion of your task will be different from the completion of my task. Let us press on together in the work of the kingdom, remembering always whose kingdom it is. And now we read this chapter 20, verses 25 to 31. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave you, savage wolves will come among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. The word overseer is misleading. It comes from the Greek word episkopos, which is made up of epi, which means over, and skopos, which means looking, as in telescope and microscope. We get bishop from episkopos when it loses the initial e and is mispronounced. But our main use of the word overseer in English is in the management of slavery. Not a good connection to me. So it is a rather unfortunate word. Question 4. An image from slavery is a poor one to relate to Paul's description of how the elders in Ephesus were to operate. What better image of where overlooking occurs can you think of than that. My favourite image is of how a mother acts as the baby sleeps and she works around the house. She keeps checking quietly that the baby is all right. She watches over the baby 
in a loving and caring way. That is the sort of watching over that the Holy Spirit is concerned with in what Paul says. Think watching over when you come across overseeing. The next verse is tricky. The NIV translates it as the Church of God, which he bought with his own blood. But it is equally likely to be with the blood of his own, that is, with the blood of Christ, which fits better with what the rest of the New Testament says. Either way, it shows the closeness of Jesus Christ and God the Father, and the power of their work in our salvation. Note that the idea that our salvation was purchased is a metaphor, and there is no indication who or what it was purchased from. It certainly does not mean that we were bought from Satan. That would give him far too high a profile. Paul goes on with stark realism to say that there will very soon be people trying to cash in on the infant Christian movement and draw people away from the truth. The latest revision of the NIV correctly says that this will be done by some from your number, not confining the problem creators to men only. Sadly, the number of men and women doing this has increased over the years. Question 5. How do we know what is the truth to which we are to firmly adhere? Only by sticking close to the Bible as the written word of God can we stay on course. It does not change from century to century. People's thoughts and ideas do. Problems of interpretation exist, but they are trivial compared with the erratic nature of people's minds. Finally, we're going to read verses 32 to 38. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Paul is sometimes presented as a hard character, but this and many other incidents show that that is not correct. He was a very sensitive people person, greatly loving and greatly loved by those he came in contact with. He returns to his main exhortation, which can be summed up in what he says later to the Corinthians, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. If we do that, we will not go far wrong. Thanks for listening. Come back to Partakers, www.partakers.co.uk, where every day there is something added to help you in your life as a Christian disciple. Thank you.